Well, as it is Mother's Day and we all think about our mothers and our grandmothers, you know, a lot of things just start flooding into our minds, right? A lot of things about maybe we feel a little guilty for how we tortured our moms. I know I tortured mine um, with several things. I just one of my memories of my mom was when I would, I would, she would be, you know, in the kitchen. My mom was a clean freak, like she would sweep me off before letting me in the house. And it was like something, right? So I just remember that. She would, oh, don't, you're not coming in the house like that. Get, 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 and straight to the bathroom, you know, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of times when my mom was doing what moms do, and I would, I would always want to be outside. But we lived in kind of a sketchy neighborhood, and I don't know, like my mom sometimes didn't want me outside. Sometimes she'd like, <laughs> just like, get out of here, right? So I would do this thing to my mom. So I'd say, Mom, can I go outside now? No, not, not right now. Now? No? Now? No? How about now? And I would stay there and just now, now, because it's a different moment, right? I know it's only like a second. So then now, now, and then, I, oh, get out of here. Right, she would, she would send me off. But I have the pleasure of, every Mother's Day, I bring out my mom's Bible, and I have it with me as I as I preach. Um, my mother, she uh, loved the Lord. She became a Christian. My family had a major turn when my mom was about 38 um, and my dad was um, 40. We had a big turn in our family. We went from being not so nice people in the neighborhood. Mostly my, it was mostly my dad. My mom was always, my, my dad was up to no good, but my mom kind of, she kept things somewhat on the rails. And um, then we started serving the Lord as a family and going to a church. And I remember my mom, she would have her Bible, but she, and she always has, like, this thing is like half Bible, half bookmarks in here. I don't know. She, like, we'd always go to the Christian bookstores and buy all these bookmarks and have all these things everywhere. And uh, there's some notes in here. One of the special things about this particular Bible is just she has a lot of dates on there, like, associated with different text. And I was very curious, like, what, what did these, what do those dates mean? And so kind of started looking what was there any significance you look and they were all Sundays and the best that I can think of is that they were dates when I preached on those texts and she would write the dates down and she would have little things and uh, back when I first started preaching it was tapes right so she was like one of the per people that probably bought a tape every week and then wore it out in her little tape deck in her car and doing those things but she was always my mother was always my biggest fan um, playing baseball growing up, she was always the loudest one, you know, she, and when I was misbehaving at home, she would threaten to get even louder at the next game, and I was, okay, all right, mom, like, I'll, I'll calm down, right, and then uh, she always threatened to sing the Mighty Mouse song when I came up to bat, and I was like, do not do that, mom, do not, here he comes to say, no, I'm not saving any days, I'm not doing it, just, and she goes, you better behave or I will do it, and I was like, she, she probably would have, she probably would have. She almost got in a fight one day with a drunk lady in the stands. That was interesting. When I was, on, I was pitching, and I kept looking over. This is trouble. And, uh, yeah. So my mom, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't go watch me play high school football. She wouldn't do that. Um, she went a couple times my freshman year, and then she said, do you mind if I not do that again? And I'm like, that's fine, Mom. And she was like, because every time they tackle you, I was, I'm going to go slap them in the face. She's like, I'm going to go slap them. And I was like, oh, I'll give you a pass on that one, Mom. You don't have to do that. And she would, she would show up periodically, but I could tell she wasn't enjoying herself, right? 
But it was my mother's faith in God that kind of pulled her through a lot of things. Because my mom, she had a lot going on in her life. Um, my mother, um, she had a lot of emotional struggles. Okay, a lot of emotional struggles. Um, and I could tell when I started getting older, I could tell by the look in her eyes if she was having a good day or a bad day. And if she's having a good day, we're going we to have a good day. Mom was a little not feeling so well. Not, we're not going to have a good day. We're just going give to give her some space. So my mom struggled a lot emotionally. But her faith in Christ and the Psalms became very powerful for her. And worship music became very powerful. kind of recentered her a lot of times with the Psalms and, and her faith in Jesus. And so knowing that she struggled emotionally, but knowing that she still hung in there with the Lord. You know, she didn't allow her, her emotional struggles to kind of take her away from her faith in God. Actually, I think it drove her closer, it close, closer to, to God. And so from my mom and from many other women in the church, we kind of discover that what we read in the Scriptures comes alive in the congregation when, it become, when we start talking about moms. And then, you know, because the way I'm made up in my brain, I want to dig around and see what some of the common research is saying about the effects of moms. And so it's interesting to me, certain things kind of come together when you read your scriptures, you start looking at some, some of the research going on today, and then you look at the congregation, and you see this kind of coming together where God says, well, I told you so, right? And everywhere that I've looked, in the church, in our own homes, looking at my wife and how she's related to our, our now adult children, looking at my mom, looking at various grandmas and moms around the church, we start to see that a mother's faith in God prepares and sustains her children. Very important. It prepares them for something, and it sustains them when they're in the middle of it. The faith of a mother. I think that really is something that's powerful as we look into the Scriptures today in two different places, and along the way I'll make a few quotes to just some of the common research. I think is all saying the same thing, and then this will be wrapped up in a challenge for, for all of us. But first of all, looking at the book of Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, we notice that a mother's faith prepares her children for God's call. Now, I wrote that very specifically because it does not answer the call. It only prepares them to hear the call. But the child has to answer the call. The child has to be obedient to the Lord and walk in the call. The mom could prepare them for that. The mom can work in their life in such a way that they can hear the call of God and be ready to receive the call of God, but a mom cannot answer the call. There are certain times in people's lives where the mom has to stop and say, I brought you this far, and now, God, you have to respond. You, you, you actually have to do it. And I know a lot of moms, they want to mother their children and do everything for them. We can't do it for them. We can get them ready for it. And we can give them some encouragement when they're in the middle of it. But we cannot do it for them as much as mothers would like. And I am one of those rare people that I never lived a single kind of man's life. I was raised, I was in my home, I lived in my home, 19, got married, moved in with my wife, and it had to, I, had to, I had to come to terms with some things. I had to realize that my mom and Susan were different because my mom did everything for me. I just assumed that underwear ended up in the drawer because 
as a kid, I get up, take a there they, they're, they're right there again. This is amazing. How do they keep ending up in there? They're always there. Socks always there. Everything always there. Clothes hung up in the closet, always there. Periodically, I would come home from doing something as a little kid, running around outside, and I would rock, run into my bedroom, and my mom was in my to- toy box. You don't play with that anymore. You don't play with that anymore. You don't play with that anymore. Get rid of it. Throw it out. Give it away. But it's mine. I know, but I'm clearing this out because you don't even play with these anymore. Get rid of them. Dang it. Cleaning everything, always. I had to hold on to my milk glass as a kid because if I set it down too long, she might think it was dirty and she's going to take it away. Susan, clean up after yourself. What are you doing? Your mom doesn't live here. All of a sudden, in the bedroom, there's a pile of laundry. What am I supposed to do with this? Fold it, put it away. And do it before it wrinkles because I'm not putting it back in the, in the dryer. Why isn't it hanging up? If you don't hang it up, it's going to wrinkle. Well, I can't go out in public like that. Well, you better. Aye. So she was, she was my wife, not my mother, right? Amen. So Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3 says this. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, first observation, when you first look at this, is kind of the wording here tells us something very specific about Timothy's home. It says he, he was raised, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. See that, if his father was a follower of Jesus, it would have said, and his follower, and his father was a Greek, but it says, but his father. So it's contrasting. His mom was the one getting him ready. His mom was the one who was leading him and guiding him in her faith in Jesus. And it was the mom that was getting his heart and his mind and installing with him in these faith. And we're going to learn something more about his mom in just a little while. But for now, when Paul came into town, here was Timothy, a believer in Jesus. In other words, he was labeled as a disciple. In other words, he was a student. If he was a student, who was teaching him? Mom. Mom was the teacher. Timothy was the student. Not only do we find that he was the student, but we find that he had a good reputation among men in other cities. Oh. So here was this man taught by his mom, and because of what he had learned from his mom, that his mom had so shaped him and taught him that not only was he learning from Jesus, but other men thought well of him as well. So he was ready. And so when Paul comes to town, he finds this man, Timothy, well taught, well respected. So Paul says, I want you to accompany me on my ministry. I want you to come with me on the missionary journeys. I want you to enter the ministry with me because your mom has prepared you for the call that you are receiving now from God. A 2019 study published by the University of Texas shown this. That the effects of religious training on children revealed that religious training is positively correlated with social competency 
In other words, putting that in English, raising your kids in the church to learn about Jesus will help them be better citizens and know how to get along with people in other parts of our society. Because when you're part of a church, you have to get along with other people that aren't like you. And you learn that. A child learns how to interact with adults respectively. A child learns how to follow instructions. A A child learns how to operate in a place of worship with respect and dignity. And when you raise a child in a church, they make better citizens. They make better workers. They make better classmates, better teammates, better leaders in society. I would venture to say there are benefits from a small church and a big church and then people have to kind of choose. One of the benefits of a smaller church, because we are one, is that raising children in a small church forces them to have relationship with people that are older with them, which, than them, which will help them then make the different transitions in life. Many, many people that struggle with their relationship with Jesus struggle at moments of transition in their life. Children into children into teens, teens into adults, young adults into middle-aged adults, middle-aged adults into older adults. In those transitions in life, people start to question their identity, question their purpose, question how they relate to the world. And if they don't have somebody ahead of them modeling that for them, pouring into their life, it's much harder to make that shift into the next stage of life. So wherever you are in the stage of life, you should be learning from somebody ahead of you. And wherever you are in life, you should look behind you and help somebody get where you are. Interesting that we see that played out in Scripture, that from Timothy he becomes a student of of Jesus based on his mom, that he becomes well-rounded in the community because of his mom, and he becomes prepared for God's call in his life because of what he had learned from his mom. Another example, one of the founders of our faith in the way that we understand Scripture and theology, John Wesley, he said this, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than all the theologians in England. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? All the theologians in England, that's fine. He studied under all of them, did his thing. But it was his mom that taught him the deeper things about the Lord. Came from mom. Another aspect of our relationship with our moms is that a mother's faith sustains her children in times of fear. Go with me, please, to the book of 2 Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 37, we see in Paul's last letter that he ever wrote, Paul was at the end of his ministry, finishing it up. All of his missionary journeys, at least three, some say five. Timothy, finishing his race. Writing one more letter to this pastor now, named Timothy. Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. A lot of what you hear and read in the book of Ephesians has to do with Timothy's leadership in the church of Ephesus. And so there as a pastor, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears... So obviously, Timothy's having a rough go as a pastor in Ephesus. He says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith and the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells 
in you as well. So he says, Timothy, I know you're, you're crying the big crocodile tears as you're struggling in Ephesus. Ministry has become tough. Ministry has become challenging. And you are broken inside, but let me remind you of what's in you. The faith of your grandmother, the faith of your mother, it is in you, Timothy, as you are in this moment in your life where the ministry of your mom made you a disciple of Jesus, the ministry of your mom has prepared you for the call of Jesus, and you have answered the call of Jesus, and now it's gotten difficult. Now you're fed up to it with here, and you're full of tears, and you're broken, and most likely the verse that I'm going to read you next, he was there, there afraid. He was leading a church from a position of fear. And let me tell you, that is not a comfortable space. When you look at a responsibility of a leader of anything, a home, a workplace, a team, a group, a church, and you're leading from a, posi a position of fear, you are in deep, deep trouble. Trust me. <laughs> he says this in verse 6. For this reason, I love that word, for this reason, in other words, because I see this faith in you, because I see your grandma's faith and your mother's faith, because I see that for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, the calling of God in your life, the anointing of ministry. That's what that means, that laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is significant because for a lot of Old Testament reasons leading up to the New Testament that takes way too long to explain, the anointing of God upon a man's life or woman's life for ministry is transferred from one person to the next by the laying on of hands. Interesting, as I was ordained in the Nazarene church 20-something years ago, our district superintendent showed how all through history, the laying on of hands that happens in the church of Nazarene that will happen in August, oh no, I'm sorry, June... Fourth, third, June 3rd at our ordination service for many, that can be traced all the way back. All the way back to here. That's, that's amazing to me. I can't take the time to do that. You can buy me lunch and I'll show you how that works. But all the way back. But somehow it had dwindled and Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to fan this thing into a flame, man. I know you're, you're full of tears. I know you're afraid. But you have the faith of your grandma. You have the faith of your mom. He says, for God, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So he says, Timothy, listen. I know you're crying about it. I know you are. And I know you're afraid. But fan into flame. I know that little, there's just a little left in you of this call of God. Fan into flame what you received by the laying on of hands. Because God does not give you a spirit of fear. But God gives you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so he's called to do that. Now this faith had been passed on from his mother. If anyone in our, in our history had a position where he would have been tempted to lead from fear, I think we would all agree that Abraham Lincoln would be one such leader notice what he says as our 16th president he speaks this way of his mother all that i am am 
or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Wow. What an amazing statement from a president of the United States leading during such a time as Abraham Lincoln. You talk about division. Brother killing brother, literally. Our, our, our nation split in half and fighting among itself like no other time since. And yet there he was, and he says, what is sustaining me and clinging to me? What's shaping me? The prayers of my mother. That that would be the same today. A 2019 study from Barna Research Group says that teens are more likely to go to moms for encouragement and sympathy and dads for money. (laughs) We need some money. Hey, Dad! I need some sympathy. I could go find mom. Dad's going to tell me to rub dirt in it. Probably. I need some encouragement. I'm going to go to Dad. Well, no, he's probably going to tell me that I'm in the mess I am because I screwed it up and it's my fault and that's not very encouraging. So, I'm going to go to Mom. I need you to help me, Mom. But in a teenager's life, they need both. They need both. They need someone telling them, well, because the mess that you're in is because the one you created. You did it. <laughs> so uh, you're going to sit in it until you figure it out. I had a lot of those conversations with my children. And Susan, well, you're not being very nice and encouraging. Well, they shouldn't have done that. Told them not to do it, so that's their problem now. I'm a lot more compassionate as a grandfather. I don't know what's happening to me. But I was, the, I was the typical dad with the teenagers. Yeah, well, yeah, you'll be all right. <laughs> it's very interesting when we start thinking about faith transmission, though. What we see in the Scriptures, that faith transition from grandma, mom, child. It's very interesting because faith transmission, some of the research tells us, is highly successful through the personal conversations that are had. Not necessarily rules and standards and structures, which those are important in a home. Those are important in, in, a, in a church. Those are important in our life. Having healthy patterns and healthy, healthy standards and healthy habits and healthy, healthy structure. We need all that in a home. And that should be. But within the context of those, it's the conversations when you're driving to practice, when you're driving them to church. Susan always wanted to be the Kool-Aid mom, right? And you guys, some of you, maybe think she wanted to be the Kool-Aid mom. where the, Our house is where all the kids showed up. And it became that. More when they were teenagers. We had teenagers all over our house all the time. Every Wednesday we had teenagers in our home from the school that I taught. And there was anywhere from 10 to 30 of them every week. And Susan's making grilled cheese and they're playing basketball in the backyard and they're doing this and then some for some reason they wouldn't leave they would stay home and Susan (laughs) Susan would put American Idol on and they would stay in my house and watch American Idol which I can't stand that show but (laughs) they're these teenagers watching American Idol in my home and I wanted them to go away (laughs) but there they were but the personal conversations is where a lot of that that deep transmission takes place. And sometimes children need to just sit with mom and have a conversation. Need some mom time. 
You just talk this out a little bit. And for some reason, I know, I know the day that we live in, and the day that we live in, as soon as I start saying moms are better at this and dads are better at that, and together they make a wonderful team, I'm in all sorts of trouble socially in our culture, but that's the truth. That is the truth. You can push against it. You can ignore it. You can come up with all sorts of other stories about it. But children need mom and dad because they each bring equally significant, important, valuable things into the relationship, and they need it. And if the home is broken and it's not there, the church needs to step in and provide it. Because it's not going to be from anywhere else. That's why single moms and single dads desperately need the church. And they desperately need people of the opposite sex stepping in and helping them raise children. We raise those together. My dad and I became Christians at the same time. He was not going to mentor me in the faith because we received Christ within three months of each other and we were in the same new Christian discipleship class. I needed other men in the church to tell me how to be a Christian man. I needed to see other Christian marriages work because when my parents got saved and they became Christian, their marriage was an absolute train wreck. So I needed some examples, desperately needed some examples. Luckily, I got saved at the age of 14 before I was too old to get myself in too much trouble. And my dad began to figure it out. My mom began to figure it out. And their marriage began to get better. And I saw what repentance looked like. And I saw what restoration looked like. It wasn't perfect. But then I had some examples around the church. Stepping in and playing some sports with the, with the older guys at the church. Helping out with projects around the church. Learning how to paint. Learning how to do a little plumbing. Learning how to do these things. We learned all of that as a teenager stepping in with older adults, adult males calling and saying, get over to the church. You live around the corner. Don't want to hear it. Get over there. We need your help with this. But I, I don't want to hear it. And I had men in the church. I don't want to hear it. Get there. Don't want to hear your excuses. Come help. You want to enjoy the gym? Come help fix it. <laughs> okay. And when I got called into ministry, the only thing I knew as a junior, senior in high school as I knew that I wanted to do what my pastor and youth pastor were doing. Why? Because they invested in me and their wives. I knew their wives. Pastor Ray's wife continues to be a significant part of our life. Emma Jean Snook, she lives in Santa Ana. She's 88 or 87 years old. Blessed to live in the family. But when I sit with her, as I do every few months, every couple times a year, I get to sit with her. It's an honor to simply be in her presence because of who she has been in our lives. And so we have all of those things going on, that personal conversations and faith transmission through that. So the challenge then becomes to, make, make, to prioritize the passing on of your faith in God. As a mother and a grandmother, that is your main objective in raising your children, to pass on your faith into their life. And you, um, one of the major means by which you can do that is to simply be available. Have the conversations. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how their faith is. Ask them how it's going on at school. Though they're, they're going to lie to you, but keep asking. Keep giving them information that they seem to ignore. They're listening. Their face doesn't tell you that they're listening. Their attitude doesn't tell you that they're, faith, that they're listening. For all intents and purposes, it looks like they're not listening, but they are. And they're watching. 
They're seeing how you navigate pain. They're seeing how you navigate frustration. They're seeing how you navigate life. And from that, they're learning about your faith. So prioritize that in your life. An interesting statistic, and this one I'll I'll, I'll kind of finish and wrap up with this one. A study from Pew Research called Religious Landscape Study published in 2016 revealed these kind of weird numbers, but they do kind of make sense after you think about it. Revealed that 80% of children raised in a home with both parents serving Jesus retain their faith. Wow. That's a big number. Don't be discouraged, single parents, because single parents, 75% of children raised by a single parent who's following Jesus retain their faith. Mom and dad, 80%, high number. Very similar. And a lot of times these studies, just to let you know, a lot of times these studies, the margin of error is between 3 and 4%. So really close with mom and dad and then a single parent. Do you know where it falls off a cliff? In a home where it's divided. That's where it falls off a cliff. Where you have mom serving Jesus and dad, nothing to do with it. Dad serving Jesus, mom, nothing to do with it. Falls off a cliff to about half. Why? Because they see that some, some people, it just doesn't matter. Well, mom has the faith, but dad doesn't. I guess it, it doesn't matter because they love each other, so I don't. And which path do you think they're going to choose? The one of least resistance. All teenagers will always choose the path of least resistance. Mom is following Jesus. She wants me to get up and go to church. She wants me to do these things. Dad, no, I'll, I'll stay home. I'll skip it. Half. So parents, this is why I stress so much. And just to let you know, I refuse as a pastor to merit to perform a wedding ceremony where one is walking with Jesus and the other is not. Refuse to do it, won't do it. For a lot of reasons, that's one of them. Because it will create such a home environment where the chances of your kids following Jesus falls off a cliff. And there's other reasons, but that's a major one. And so that becomes something that I believe becomes very important for us parents. Get on the same page with Jesus. Dive into the scriptures and do whatever you have to get on the same page together. Single parents, you got this. You're right there. You're within the margin of error. High probability that you as a single parent, loving your children, following Jesus, setting the example, high probability that they're going to follow you right along. Be encouraged. But for those of you in a home where you're fighting over religion and doing all of these things, you are hurting your children. That is a very dangerous home. Get on the same page with Jesus and pass on your faith. The eternity of your children in large part depend on that. And so we as a church then, in order to encourage parents and help parents with that, especially encourage the single parent who feels at a deficit. You're not, you're not as a deficit. You can do this. And if it's a single mom, the men in the church need to step up and help those children. If it's a single dad, the children need, the church women need to step up and help that mom and fulfill that role. And that could be a beautiful place, a beautiful thing that can happen in our community. And so may the activities in our church, in our church community promote spiritual unity and instructive conversation in the home.
I pray that what we do here, you have conversations at home. Hey, what'd you think about what the pastor said? Oh, I think he's nuts. Well, why do you think he's nuts? Well, because this and this. Okay. Oh, I disagree with the pastor here. I think this. Well, what do you think? And you could have those conversations. You know, you are free to have the conversations of how much you disagree with me at home with your children. Just have the conversation. I'm fine if, it's, if you have the conversation and you disagree and you think something else. And really, if you do disagree with anything that I say from here and you don't talk to your children about that, shame on you. You should talk to your children, especially if you think I'm saying something that's going in their ears that's wrong. Good grief. As a parent, yeah, I, would, I would run them to the car. Now listen, pastor said this, but he's crazy. It's really this. Protect, you might need to protect your kids from me. I don't know. But at the same time, if I say anything that convicts your heart and you're like, oh, I need to make an adjustment. Well, then make the adjustment and talk to your kids about the adjustment that that you're making. And you learn something new about the Bible, and you're going to change in your life, and you're going to show them and model them how to do that. And together as a community, we can get that done. And so that's the challenge. Moms, you've got a tough battle ahead of you. There's so much going on today. Good grief. Church better be a place of support and prayer for moms. And your your job is never over. (laughs) Your job is always difficult. But you can do it. Because your faith in Jesus Christ will help prepare your children for what God calls them to, and your faith in Jesus will help sustain your children when they are full of tears and fear. So I want to, I want to pray for you today that God would strengthen your faith in Him. Because I know sometimes you're the one that wants to run in the bathroom and cry, right? Yeah, and the bathroom's the only place your kids won't chase you, if you're lucky. They'll chase you everywhere else. So moms always run to the bathroom, have a good cry, pray to the Lord Jesus, and please help. So let's pray for moms and grandmas today. Father, we thank you today for our mothers. Lord, I thank you for the faith of my mom. And Lord, I know that she, she struggled so much with things. She had a lot of emotional things, a lot of emotional baggage from her childhood and some things going on in her mind. But Lord, you drew her into the Psalms and you drew her into worship music and that kept her close to you. And so Father, we pray for all other mothers today, Lord, that they, when they feel like they're just at their wit's end, when they just can't take one more piece of negative news, when they can't take one more sarcastic look, they can't handle one more kid throwing a fit on the floor. And they cannot hear one more negative thing from the school. Father, I pray that you would draw these moms and these grandmas close to you. That you would pour into them that spirit of power and of love and of encouragement. And Father, I pray for parents that are at odds. And for some reason, my experience, Lord, that it's usually the dads that kind of need to catch up a little bit to moms. Moms by nature are so nurturing and caring. And fathers, we can use some work there. And so Lord, I pray for these moms that carry a heavy load. I pray, Lord, that they would learn to laugh with their children. Kids do funny things. And Lord, I believe that they bring joy to our lives in that. So Lord, help this church to be one that rallies around parents. 
that helps them stay the course. And Father, we pray for a powerful transmission of faith from grandmother, mother to child in the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.